Glad you're here with us today for our series, Signs, as we look at what God is doing in these days and attempt to understand where he is in the midst of it and for us as his church to have hope in these days, amen, and not be discouraged and not be filled with terror and anxiety like those who have no hope, amen, amen. I'm so grateful for Barry Seif and her story this morning. Wasn't that beautiful? Give her a hand. That was so, so sweet, so beautiful. <clears throat> and uh, just a perfect setting of the stage for where we're headed this morning in God's Word. I think back to my wedding. Uh, I'm not Jewish. So I don't have a Jewish heritage and wedding. I have the traditional American wedding. And this year, back in June, Heather and I celebrated 30 years together. So <clears throat> I, I remember a lot about that day. I don't remember everything about that day. It's been a while. There were some great things I do remember about it. There's times now I think I remember more of the pictures and some of the video more than the reality of it. You know how that works. So I remember a big cake. I remember bowls of mixed nuts, and I remember bowl of mint, because back in the day, that's what you had at a wedding, right? That's all you had, all this stuff about a meal and a big party afterwards and all that, no. I mean, we got married, at, the wedding started at two, we did our thing, it was a, the service is like a church service back in the 90s, that's what we did back then, and then the reception, very short, and you know, you ate your cake, mixed nuts, mints, and then... We're out of there. I remember leaving in a horse and buggy carriage. That was Heather's dream. And we did. And that was around the corner up here. And so we drove through Old Villa that day onto her parents' house in horse and buggy. That was sweet. I remember family and friends. I don't remember a whole lot about what her dad said. Her dad was the preacher. He was the one delivering the message. And so, you know, I don't remember much about that at all. I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, my word. She is beautiful. And so, you know, when I marry someone now, I go to all this preparation work and I think, I don't know why I do this. They are not going to remember a word I say at a wedding. That's just not what they're thinking about. So I don't remember much about what he said, but there was a moment that I remember. There's a moment when I'm standing down front and all the groomsmen and her dad is out of the room. He's not standing with me. And the music swells, the crowd rises, and in she comes. And then she turns the corner, and I see her for the first time. Ooh, that's a moment right there. That's a moment when you see your bride. That's a moment you don't forget. I've done a lot of weddings since then, some for my own kids, for four of them, in fact. And sometimes, well, Three of the times, I've got to be the guy who walks in with the bride who's standing at the back of the room when she turns the corner and sees her groom for the first time. So I get to see his face, and every time they just melt. And I'm like, ha, ha, yeah. That's a moment. That's a moment right there. I remember it at, uh, at Hunter and Brooks as well, getting to see... Uh, that she wasn't my daughter, so I didn't get to walk in that part with her. I was standing at the different place, but I saw that, that look there as well. I've seen it at a lot of weddings. That is the moment you don't forget. The moment when a groom sees his bride. That's a moment. You know, weddings are important to God. God is the one who created man and woman. And that's his design that a man and a woman should be married. This is how he created life. That's from scripture. It's from him. He did it with design, with intent. He has purpose in that. A man and woman would be a picture of how we relate to him, how he loves us, how we are to love him. A marriage between a man and a woman who both love him is the foundation for a, a home. It's the foundation for raising children. It's the foundation for passing on faith. Faith is meant to be taught and developed in the context of a man and woman as husband and wife. That's where you raise up your children in that context. You come to the New Testament... And we find that we, the church, are called to be like the bride 
who loves her groom, her husband, and that Jesus is the husband who lays down his life for the bride. So marriage is vitally important to God. He places high premium on it. That's why he calls a man and woman together for life because it's a picture of his relationship to us. It's always been important to God. And it's always been the thing that the enemy has hated. Satan despises marriage because it pictures God's love for us. And if he can destroy it, if he can divide, if he can create anger and animosity and bitterness and fighting and make it a place of conflict, then he will have destroyed the practical picture of his love on earth. But marriage is also important because Jesus used it to help us understand the end times. And if you want to have a framework, a perspective, if you want to have a blueprint for understanding the times and the end times, then you have to start with marriage. And Barry gave us the blueprint. Because when Jesus described it, he described it from a Jewish perspective. You can't lay American template on top of the Bible and hope to make some sense out of it because Jesus taught from a Jewish background and cultural setting. So when you understand a Jewish wedding, then you understand something of what's happening in the end times. As she described, the groom would leave his father's house to go to get a bride. And the father of the bride negotiated a price with the father of the groom and the groom for her. And then they would enter into a covenant once the price was paid. They would enter into a covenant at that point and here's how they would symbolize it. The groom would offer to the bride a cup of wine. And if she accepted the cup and drank from the cup, it was her acceptance of him and the covenant. And it was done for others to see. By drinking, she accepted the covenant. And they were considered married at that point. The covenant was begun. Now, they would not physically consummate that marriage, that's adult terminology for all you adults in the room, <laughs> until a later time. But they were considered husband and wife at that point. It's somewhat like what we might say engagement today, but different. Because at this point, you didn't back out. You'd already made your covenant promise. And then a very interesting thing would happen, as Barry pointed out, the groom would then leave and go back to his father's house where he would add on room or rooms in preparation for them to come and live there. And he would work and she would work. He would prepare the physical house and she would prepare her life and her heart and her own preparations for that day. She would not spend that time frivolous. She would not spend that time dating other guys. She was focused and fixed on preparing for her day and for her groom. Now, Jewish culture teaches us just what Barry said, that the groom went back and it was his father that would tell him when he had finished the work and he could go and get his bride. So, the groom waited and waited, wondering. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be strange to us that we read in the New Testament that it says, of that day and hour when Jesus returns, no one knows the date or time. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So in the Jewish wedding context, the Father says, all right, Son, it's time. 
go and get your bride. And he would take off with his entourage and he would have his trumpet and he would and he would go and get his bride. And she and her attendants would be waiting and ready and prepared and they would go out to meet him. And he would come and get her, lift her up and carry her away and take her back to the place where they would begin the wedding feast that would take some time. Hey, they'd make our wedding receptions today look like nothing. They partied for seven days at a wedding feast. And they ate and they drank and they enjoyed. And only those who were invited to the wedding party, thank you, Brett, could come. Thank you for saving me from catastrophic fall there. Um, only those who were invited and heard the call came. Everyone else was left out because they had not received or accepted, I mean, the invitation. They had refused it. There's coming a day when our groom, our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return for us, his bride. We are waiting for that day today anxiously. He will come to get us in that day because he has come to take us home to the wedding feast we have not been appointed to wrath, the scripture says. He's not coming to judge us. He's not coming to condemn us. He's coming to take us away. We have not been appointed to wrath, and he has delivered us from the wrath to come, the New Testament says. So based on that, we can understand something of the end times, and specifically today, we're going to talk about that moment, that one moment, like I described, where a groom sees his bride coming down the aisle. We're going to talk today about that moment when we see Jesus face to face. Amen. Our message today is called Ready for Rapture. Turn to John 14. We're going to be looking at several passages today that teach the same truth over and over again. But it's good to see it from multiple passages. Uh, Jesus himself said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is confirmed. Well, we're going to see it from several witnesses today about this wedding that is in preparation now and what you and I should be prepared for. John 14, Jesus was talking. In verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus has gone back to heaven and he's preparing a place for his bride. That is us. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The wording here is important. Jesus didn't say that where you are, I will be too. He didn't say, I'm going to come be where you are at this point. He says, I'm coming to receive you, to get you for myself, so that where I am in my father's house, you may be also. There's coming a day when Jesus will come and like a groom coming to get his bride, he will catch us away and he will take us to where he is. Amen? It's right here, God's word. It's right here from Jesus' own mouth. So that where I am, you may be also. This is a moment. It creates a moment a powerful moment. Philippians 3 tells us the same truth again. Verse 20 and 21. He says, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might or that it may be conformed to his glorious body. What? Paul's writing here, and he says, there's coming a day, and those in the Jewish culture understood it. They didn't have to have it explained to them. They knew it. 
And we wait for that day. We wait for that day. We eagerly wait, as it says. They were waiting for the groom to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and when that day happens, something powerful is going to happen. There's going to be a moment of transforming, of change. God is going to change us, Paul says, from our lowly body. Now, the older I get, the more I feel that. <laughs> Amen, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel lowly body. Sometimes, you know, worked around the house all day, out in the yard, trimming trees, mowing, all that kind of stuff, and I feel lowly body. I need some help, you know, because I'm feeling mighty lowly. That happens. This body is weak. This body, I have to bring under control. This body wants to be the one that takes the lead. This body wants to have its appetites met. This body wants to do its thing. And I have to say, uh-uh, you're not in charge here. Now, sometimes I win. Sometimes I give in. I pay the price for it in a variety of ways. But I get why Paul says this lowly body. He says in this passage here, for that day, there's going to be a, a transformation that will happen. We will be transformed from this into something glorious so that we will be able to experience fully the glory of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Here we are, man, created in God's image, but man who walked away from that, who chose to go our own way, who has been unfaithful, immoral, resistant, rejecting him, infected and affected with death in our lowly bodies. Weakness, trial, struggle. Man who deserved judgment, who deserved condemnation, rejection. You, you know, you know you've sinned, right? Nobody has to be pointed that out to, right? You know that because of sin, that makes you deserving of judgment, right? You know that you're not all that. We're not. I don't care how many weekday afternoon TV talk shows you watch. I don't care how many self-help books you've read. I don't care how many times you've told yourself, I'm really lovable. I don't care how many times you've said it. You, like me, have fallen short of the glory of God. We do not deserve anything but death. We don't deserve anything but rejection from God. We don't deserve any good thing because of anything we've done because we have not done anything good. There is none who do good. No, not one, the scripture says. I don't care who you know in your life or who knows you, you're not all that. Hello, yeah. right? And that is what makes the message of Jesus good news. Because while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. When I was deserving of being kicked to the curb, tossed out, sent to hell, he loved me. He sent his son for me. He paid for my sin. When I wasn't even looking for it, surely wasn't deserving it, he redeemed me. And he says, if you'll come to me by faith now, I don't want you coming trying to prove to me how good you are. You can't. I don't want you coming to me trying to Earn enough points to work off your bad points. That's impossible. I want you to come only by faith, which means you just simply receive the undeserved gift of grace. This is the gospel. 
And this is what has happened for you and I. We have received grace where there should have been judgment. Those who've fallen short us have been made heirs with Christ if we receive him. If we repent of our ways and choose to walk in his ways, he says, now forgiveness is yours. Now grace is yours. Mercy is yours. Love is multiplied to you. And for those who walk in that, those who keep walking in it, those who say, I'm walking in this life right now and I may have pressures against me. I may have things I don't understand. There may be hurts in my body. There may be confusion in my mind, but I trust the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how I walk. He says to those, there's coming a day when you will ultimately be delivered and you will be transformed out of this lowly body into a glorious body so that you can be married to the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Ooh, man, there's a moment coming. Can you imagine that moment? I mean, the moment that John has written about and the moment that Paul's writing about, we're going to see more of it. There's a moment like that where all of a sudden one day, you and I are going to be somewhere maybe like this right now. And all of a sudden in a moment, boom, we are just going to be raptured up out of this earth and transformed into a glorious body to meet the Lord in the air. Can you imagine that moment when every weakness falls away? When every doubt becomes sight? Everything you've waited for becomes reality? Every frailty falls away? There are no more unknowns. There are no more doubts. There are no more hidden fears. There's no more unhealed hurts. There are no more questions. There's no more distance. There's no more wondering. There's no more resistance and uncertainty. All of a sudden, we see Jesus face to face, and we're transformed in that moment. He takes us to his home. We experience his glory. We take on his name. We move into his house. And we'll be stunned in that moment. This is what we've waited for. Everything we've read will become sight. Everything we've waited for transformed. And not just you and I individually either, but the whole body of Christ. Every believer all together we experience him in a moment of worship grander than anything you've ever even come close to experiencing on this earth. This is exactly what had been prophesied. It's what was pictured by Noah. It's what was taught by Jesus. And those who knew him in this day and time, they clearly understood we eagerly wait for the Savior they knew there was a day that he would return and he would catch us away and it would precede a day of judgment that was coming. In other words, it would come before. The church would be taken back to the home that the groom had prepared and then would come a day of wrath upon the earth, a day of judgment. Judgment on the earth and glory in heaven as we waited. Now, the New Testament believers understood these truths. You and I are still trying to figure it all out. They understood it. They didn't need books and seminars and all kind of stuff. And, you know, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that kind of stuff about when does the rapture happen? When does Jesus return? Is he coming back before the tribulation, before the millennium, after the millennium, all that kind of stuff? It just, it's just maddening if you sit down and try to think about all of it. The New Testament church understood it, and they couldn't wait for that moment. In fact, when you, when you read the writings with that in mind, it takes on a new light. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4. If you have your Bible, turn there with me for some verses. This is a, a passage I have used on countless occasions at a graveside. When someone 
who's put their faith in Jesus Christ has died, this is the passage I most often use. But in light of what we're talking about today, it's about to take on a new light for you. So starting in verse 13, Paul writes to this church because they were concerned. They knew this moment was going to be glorious when the church got to see Jesus face to face. But what they began to be concerned about is, well, what about, we've had some dear saints, you know, who've died. And if they've died, are they going to miss this moment? Are they going to miss this moment when the church is raptured up? They were expecting it was going to happen any moment. And what's going to happen? So Paul writes to help them. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, unaware, confused, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He wasn't just talking about people in a church service. He was talking about people who had died. People who had, he uses sleep because it was only a temporary situation for them. They had died. And Paul says, I want to write to you because I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. That's important. I don't want you to be like those who have no sight for tomorrow, hope for tomorrow, joy for tomorrow. I don't want you to be like those who look ahead to tomorrow and they're frustrated and they're sad and they're bewildered and they're confused and they're angry. I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be concerned about those who have died already. Verse 14, he goes on, he says this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So stay with me. Watch this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and today you died. Now, God forbid that that would happen. Although it would actually be an okay thing if you did, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? If you did, what would happen is the moment that you breathe your last Your spirit, which is actually who you are, you are not your body. You are your spirit. You just need to let that process for a while. You are not your body. You don't have to listen to everything it says. You are your spirit. In that moment, your spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. You don't go to some holding spot You don't go to some place where you'll have your good works weighed against your bad works. It doesn't work that way. Your sins have all been paid for by Jesus Christ. The moment you believe, they were forgiven, cleared. So that you put your faith in him. When you die, you are immediately in his presence. That's good news. And you don't get into his presence in him like, what are you doing here? No. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what happens. Now, that's your spirit. But what about this lowly body? It stays here for a while. That's why we have funerals. Because we are putting in the ground the body of someone who has believed. And we do it in hope. You ever wonder why funerals are the way they are? You ever wonder why there's a casket? You ever wonder why they put so much into that whole experience? Ever wonder why all of that? It began from a place of hope. That's why usually the person is dressed maybe nicely. That's why the casket looks so nice. It's because they were planted in hope of another day. For the believer in Jesus Christ, my spirit has gone to be with the Lord. My body's still down here. But God, when he redeems, he redeems fully and completely and all the way to the end. He'll redeem my spirit. In other words, he'll redeem who I really am. He calls me his own. He calls me forgiven. He releases me from my shame and my guilt. He calls me accepted. This is my spirit. He does that. He also begins to redeem my mind here on earth. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that God redeems our thoughts. Because, boy, they can go in some crazy places. 
This lowly body and lowly minds can go some places they don't need to go sometimes. But God redeems a mind. God redeems emotions. God help this generation. They need their emotions redeemed. Because this generation's living off of those like they're fuel. Yeah, yeah, that's probably enough on that. So, yeah, they, they drink in emotions like it's, uh, like it's hot coffee. You know, they, they just feed off of it all day long. Like it's a five-minute energy pill or drink or whatever. It's just what I live on, my emotions. But God redeems emotions. God can transform your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, and all the things that you feel from time to time and make those new. God can redeem our mind or does our mind, our will, our emotions, and our will. He'll change your want to. Aren't you glad that God changes your want to's, your desires, your interests, your activities, your words? He, he redeems all of that. But God will eventually even redeem your lowly body. When it gets put in the ground, it's not left there for eternity. Because this verse says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, God was interested in his body. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So you and I have friends and family who've gone on to be with the Lord. The day that he comes out of heaven to get us, guess who's coming with him? Company. A lot of company. Everybody that has believed will come with him on that day in the air. It's him and it's them. I'm going to see my mom on that day and my dad. I'm going to see lots of family on that day because he will bring with him those who sleep in him. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, this you can bank on. You can bank on all of it because it's God's word, but Paul puts some real emphasis here. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. On the day that he comes to take us, those who've died before get to go first. They get to start. They get to go before us. So Paul was saying, I know you're concerned that those who have died are going to miss this glorious, powerful moment when the church, the bride, sees the groom and the groom sees the bride. But I don't want you to be concerned because even those who have died, they are not going to miss it. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend, come down from, heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have passed on and had faith, God will take their body and redeem it, and boop, they get to go first. They will be fully redeemed first. And then you and I will follow. Do you see the imagery here in this passage of a groom coming for his bride? He's got the trumpet. He's calling out, hey, here I come. This is wedding getting ready day. And he comes to get his bride. And his bride is made up of everyone who believes today that's alive and everyone that's believed and has died as well. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he says this, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord together. You, your loved ones, that mom and dad and friend, neighbor, cousin, who believe, church members that you've known, Believers, all together that day, meet Jesus in the air. And a transformation happens in us to prepare us for him. I love what verse 18 says because it reminds us, therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
Use this to encourage each other. Use this to build up each other. The end times are not to be frightening times for the people of God because he has not appointed us to his wrath. We have been delivered from his wrath and he will come and take us home. Take comfort, people of God. Be concerned if you have no faith because what happens next is utterly frightening. You see, in that moment when we are caught away, here's your teaser for next week. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit on the earth. God can be wherever he chooses to, but he has chosen to be in us. We represent his presence and his power and are his presence and power on the earth today. You just just let this sink in for a moment. When all of a sudden, in the twinkling of an eye, millions disappear from this planet and they are the presence of the Holy Spirit, the restraining force, the power of God on the planet. You imagine that all of a sudden gone. The mayhem that then unfolds. The destruction that begins to happen. Not to mention what God will do then in response to their wrath. That's next week. Back to our story. Our last passage today we look at is from 1 John 3. John gives us another picture in verse 1. And John's kind of caught up in all of this and just stunned. And he says in verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is the moment. This is the moment that a bride sees her groom. This is the moment that a groom sees his bride This is the moment when we are transformed. This is the moment when tears that we've cried on this earth are wiped away. This is the moment when everything you have hurt for and waited for is all of a sudden eclipsed in his joy. This is the moment when everything melts away that has held you down. This is the moment of utter joy. And he says, in that moment when we see him, we're going to be transformed to be like him, for we'll see him just as he is. You know, the hurts that you're experiencing right now in your life are not wasted, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've gotten caught up in the fact that you think you're different than everybody else. That you're paying in a different way than anyone else. That your hurts are different than anybody else. That there's something wrong with you even though you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can't make heads nor tails out of what's going on in your life and why you don't look like anybody else and why it seems all so confusing. You just can't make heads or tails of it. Let me tell you, on that day, when you see him as he is and he sees you, every longing you've ever had will be fulfilled. Every hurt you've ever experienced will be the thing that causes you to love him more because he will heal that hurt. If you've dwelt in a life of 
utter loneliness? Guess what that moment's going to be? A moment of utter joy and acceptance like you've never known before. Maybe you've walked in pain most of your life. In that moment, when you see him as he is, there'll be a healing that will happen. And all your pain will make sense in that moment. Maybe you've walked in uncertainty and confusion most of your life. In that moment, when you see him as he is, hey, there's going to be a moment of clarity that will hit you, that will make you love more than you could have ever imagined. God never wastes our suffering, our pain, our doubts. He brings them to full redemption in that moment. Mm. John wasn't finished, though, because he says this in verse 3, and this is our last verse today. He says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. For those who say, I'm waiting for that day. I hurt here, but I can't wait for that day. And I know it's coming. I'm confident it's coming. I believe in him coming. I believe he will transform this lowly body, mind, will, emotions, every bit of me. There'll be purpose in it. He says the one who has this hope in them, they do something. They purify themselves. Interesting. It's the word for set apart, to be used for something specific, a, a holy purpose. The person who knows that Jesus is coming again, that he's coming again for them, and they long for that day, they hope for that day, they're not afraid of that day. He said, they do something. They separate themselves for him. They live with a new set of priorities. They say, you know what? He's coming for me. Why in the world would I waste my time on other lovers? Why would I waste my time on other pleasures? Why would I waste my energies on anything else but preparing myself for him? It'd be foolish for a bride after her groom has come and made a covenant with her, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll be back. Get ready. I'm not sure when I'm coming back, but I know I'm coming back. You be ready. How foolish would it be if she said, Psst, right. And she hit the road, dated other people, slept with other people, gave herself away to other people, had no preparation Joy and delight in the fact that he's coming back. It'd be tragic. It'd be foolish. But you know what? That's what happens to people who have no hope. What we are watching today in the news are people who have no expectation or hope that Jesus is going to return again. They don't believe there is a God. If they do, they've considered him mad, crazy, not worth following. And they are living selfish, arrogant, mob-ruled lives bent on destruction and hatred and violence and making others pay. That is what happens when you live with no hope. You and I are not called to be like that. We are called to be like those. We are called to be those who purify ourselves in the process. We prepare ourselves. We set ourselves apart 
And we say, Jesus, I know you are coming again. I will not live my life frivolous. I will not live my life as though you're not coming. I will not live my life ignorant of your ways. In fact, I'm going to use this time to set myself apart for you. I'm going to use this time to prepare my life for you. Because when you come, I don't want to miss it. I want to be ready. I want to be dressed. I want to be anxious. I want to say, let's go. And Paul says, those who have this hope in them, that's how they live. That's how you can recognize them. They're setting their lives apart. Now, the rapture is meant to capture our heart. How about that? It's not to be this thing that we debate over when it's going to happen and argue about it. How foolish would it be for a bride to be getting ready for her wedding and she's so concerned about who's going to stand where, who's going to enter when, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, who's so concerned about the colors and the lights and the sound. Not there's anything wrong with some of that. <laughs> I'm big on that stuff. I'm with you, brides. Ask my daughters. But imagine if a bride got so caught up in that that when she came around that corner to look up at her groom, she looked around and said, what are they doing here? Hey, that flower's out of place. Boy, those lights are a wreck. Man, ah, forget it. <laughs> we think that girl's crazy. Hey, there's some crazy people today because they've gotten so caught up in the when and the way. They've forgotten the who. Let us be those who set ourselves apart. Let us be those who live holy today. Let us be those who check our priorities. Check where our time goes. Check where our thoughts go. Check who's reigning over this lowly body. Check where we're putting all that we invest in this life. Check where it's going. The church is called to be the bride waiting for her groom and saying, Lord Jesus, even so, come now. We are ready. Would you bow your heads with me today? I would imagine here today there's the potential of a couple of groups of people. One are some who'd say, I have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I need to. I hear him talking to me right now. And I don't know what to do. I know I have blown it in my life. I need, I need forgiveness. I need some hope. If that's you, then I would say talk to him right now because he's talking to you. And say something like this. God, thank you for loving me. Even while I have made a wreck of my life. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die in my place. I deserve that death. I receive your love and your forgiveness. And I'm grateful. If you pray that, then you have just been made new by the power of God. It might be that you're here today and you say, I've done that. But today I recognize I'm kind of like that silly bride. I've gotten so distracted. I've gotten focused on so many other things besides what is most important, my groom. You might need to pray a prayer that says, God, forgive me for being distracted. Forgive me for not looking for you, for giving up hope. Thank you for loving me. I'll walk this week. 
purify my priorities, my words, my actions, so that I can be a bride ready for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for promises. I thank you that just as you came the first time to the earth to be a savior, you'll come back to catch your church away. You'll come for us. You'll come for all those who have believed. You'll catch us away. We'll meet you in the air and forever be with you. And God, I thank you for grace that gives us hope. I pray we'd live now as the church with hope. Let us stand out in the midst of a dark and crooked world today. Let us stand out against those who have no hope. Let us offer a word of hope to them that they might know this redemption, this new life, that they might be free from their anger and their resentment and their animosity and their hatred, that they can know that there's a Savior who's come to free them. God, I thank you for capturing our hearts and one day capturing our bodies for us to forever be with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, at this moment, in the past many weeks, I've introduced to you someone who's going to be baptized. Last week we did two. It was a couple. We had someone scheduled this week, and they said, I need to reschedule. So unless somebody runs up to me in the next two minutes, we're not baptizing today. The water's in there, and it's warm. I'm just saying. But... I talked to uh, Charity and Amanda's sisters. Their third sister has been coming with them. And uh, you might have seen Charity Mather's post online this week. And she said, I'm just so excited because God has done a work and is doing a work in our family. That there are more who are interested in being baptized, trusting Jesus, and following him with their life. Amen? Amen. So, we've been praying that God would allow us to baptize at least one a week from now to the end of the year. He's fulfilling that promise, so we will be here next week, and Lord willing, we'll see some more baptisms. Amen? So, I would say to you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, even this morning, and you're interested in baptism. Maybe you're a believer and you have bes- you've been away. And you say, God's calling me back. And I need to take a step even just of renewing my life and being baptized now that I understand what's happening. Come see me afterwards and we'll talk. Amen? Amen.